Open your Bibles to 2 Corinthians 11. No more announcements. You're cut off. Don't shout anymore at me. 2 Corinthians 11. Stand with me in honor of God's word. Second Corinthians 11, you guys there? If you're typing it, C-O-R-I-N-T-H-I-A-N-S. One, one. Two Corinthians, as our president would say. I hope you will put up with me a little, with a little more of my foolishness. Please bear with me, verse one. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. But I fear that somehow your pure and undivided devotion to Christ will be corrupted just as Eve was deceived by the cunning ways of the serpent. You happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preach, or a different kind of spirit than the one you received, or a different kind of gospel than the one you believed. Father in heaven... We have been betrothed to one and only one. There are not many ways of salvation. There are not many ways to heaven. And there is only one marriage. And God, I just ask that your word would come alive, that it would tie together scriptures that we have been reading for years, that they would make more sense than they've ever made before. Father, meet us here because we know that your word never, ever, ever returns void to you, but it accomplishes every purpose for which you've sent it. And so, Father, accomplish your word today in each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we ask, we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. You can be seated. It's been a couple weeks um, now, but if you remember last we met, we talked about the significance of marriage imagery in Scripture. We went back to the Garden of Eden and we talked about how one of the very first things that God instituted after creation was marriage. In fact, marriage and family came before the first church of whatever. Marriage and family came first, and God put them in the garden to tend, to keep it, and to fill the earth and subdue it. And so here again, we see the imagery of marriage, but this scene is entirely different. Here we have the Apostle Paul as the father giving the bride away. We have the believers in Corinth as the bride, and we have Jesus as the bridegroom. Have we seen imagery used like this on this topic by Paul elsewhere in Scripture? Go to Ephesians 5 with me. Ephesians 5. Look at 21. I like reading 21 because if you start at 22, then wives get a little bit irritated Um, because they see that word submit there. And so this message is all about wives submitting to their husbands today. No, it isn't. But look at verse 21. It says, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. It's the same word submit as in 22. For wives, this means submit to your husbands to the Lord. For husbands, the head of the wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of the body of the church. 
as the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands and everything. That word submit's gotten a bad rap. It means to yield or it means to give way to. Husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave his life for her to make her holy and clean washing by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church. Notice how the language is changing now. We go from marriage between a man and a woman, and all of a sudden now we're talking about a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies, for a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. There it is again. And we're members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Paul sees the church as the bride and Jesus as the groom. In fact, the wedding ceremony between a man and a woman is a small picture of a much larger picture, a much larger picture. We were talking to friends of ours the other day, and um, they mentioned, you know, will there be marriage in heaven? Jesus was asked that in Matthew chapter 22, and Jesus says, you, you err because you don't know the scripture. I hate when that verse is taken out of context and it's plastered on somebody's front lawn. You err because you do not know the scriptures. Um, you don't know the power of God. It was, it was in reference to a question that Jesus was asked about, will there be marriage in heaven? And I'm gonna answer that question today. If you are trying to bring human relationships into eternity, you are missing the bigger picture of it all. You're missing the bigger picture of it all. Jesus answered by saying, no, 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 you don't understand the scriptures, you don't understand the power of God. They're gonna be like angels in heaven. Imagine, imagine, if we can, and, I'm just, and I try to grasp it even as I was preparing, imagine loving God so much that you are spending eternity with him and every earthly relationship pales in significance. It's not like we won't know the people that we've been here on earth with, but, I mean, there's God, there's the throne, there's the lamb who was slain. I mean, imagine seeing the Holy Spirit, God the Father, in all of his splendor, that we couldn't handle in our earthly bodies and we have to be changed in the twinkling of an eye to even be able to stand in his presence. The things that we hold so dear pale in significance. They will pale in significance. Like the husband is the head and covering of the wife, Christ is the church. Like the husband is to lay down his life for his wife, Christ did the church like the wife's body belongs to the husband, according to 1 Corinthians 7, verse 4. The church is Christ's body and belongs to him, as is seen here in Ephesians 5, 23. You are not your own. You've been bought with a price. You belong to God. So God takes some of the most intimate language that human beings could ever know on earth to try to convey to us, to give us a taste 
of what he desires in a relationship with us. Well, the fact that he uses marriage speaks of commitment. Jesus isn't coming back for a girlfriend. He's not coming back for a fling or an affair. He's coming back for a bride, a committed bride. And she's made herself ready. She's made herself ready. And she'll be dressed in white. Jesus is coming back for a bride. He's not looking for somebody that, that, that once loved him, but but chose to, to turn their backs on him. He's not, he's not coming back for, for those that, uh, that, you know, had thoughts about God or, or entertained the thoughts. I mean, that, that makes as much sense to me as claiming to be married even though you never were in a wedding ceremony. I'd like to say it this way. It strikes me out that people expect to spend eternity with a God that they never made any attempt to get to know here on earth. And I'm not God, and he'll call that shot, and I'm no man's judge. But I know this much. I know that he is coming back for a passionate bride he'll return for. Not a perfect one. Not a, not a, not a, not a bride that could possibly be flawless, but pure and holy. And I think we don't understand those words when we try to put ourselves in some kind of perfect state so that before God, you know, we would be received... Man, he loves you like crazy. I think the purity is speaking of a heart because there's no way our flesh is ever going to be pure. That's why we're constantly in places of discipline and constantly going through the refiner's fire. I think it speaks of the heart. Notice the reason that Jesus gave his life in verse 25 of Ephesians 5. It was for the church. And notice in verse 29 that Jesus cares for the church. So can we go a little bit deeper and can we tie some some truths together here? Okay. Let's go a little deeper. Look at verse verses 31 and 32. Says as the scriptures say a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife and the two are united into one. So if marriage is a picture of the relationship that we will have with God, then there is a leaving and there is a cleaving. You are leaving something and you are committing to something else. You you don't get both. Mommy and daddy, I love you so much. I want to marry, but I want you to come too. I want you to come on the honeymoon. I want you to come and live with us. I want you to come. No, 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 no. You leave and you cleave. The old English word. Newer would be joined. United would be a newer rendering of that word. You leave and you cleave. So as a Christian, you are leaving and you are cleaving. The illustrations in Scripture are that of the, the Exodus. They left the land of bondage for a promised land so that they could go worship God. There is a leaving and there's a cleaving. I don't believe in a Christianity that's void of repentance. Repentance says, I left something and now I realize and I'm cleaving to something. I don't believe in a Christianity that says that I can come to God just as I am and I can stay just as I am and I'll always be just as I am and so God, I guess you have to accept me just as I am. I believe in change. I believe in someone that comes to know the living God that there's change, that he has the power to change you. 
It's not like, God, you know who you are and you know what you have to work with and so you just have to accept me as I am. He does, he receives you as you are, but he changes you as you surrender to him. He changes you because you've left and you've now come, come to him. Make sense? So like a husband and a wife consummate and are one, so are Christ and the church. This is a great mystery, verse 32. It's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. But it's an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So let's look at some of this language in some of Paul's other writings. Go to 1 Corinthians 6 with me and let's go a little bit deeper. You guys with me? Let's talk about sex. In church, gasp. Yes. Look at 1 Corinthians 6, 15. It says, don't you realize that your bodies are actually parts of Christ? Should a man take his body, which is part of Christ, and join it to a prostitute? Never. And don't you realize that if a man joins himself to a prostitute, he becomes one body with her, for the scriptures say, the two are united into one. Way to hold it. That's how we used to say it back in the day. Wait a minute. But the two united into one, that's marriage language. Genesis. Ephesians 5. How in the world can that language even possibly be used when speaking of one being with a prostitute? I mean, we were talking about, about marriage. And now all of a sudden, that language is being used in speaking of having sex with a prostitute? Keep reading. For the scriptures say the two are united in one, but the person who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. The word joined there in verses 16 and the word joined there in, in verse 17, same word. Go ahead and look it up. Same word. It's the same word. Pastor John, come on. One's talking about having sex with a prostitute and the other one's talking about intimacy with God. How can that even be the same? God is using the most intimate thing that two human beings can do on the face of the earth to communicate to you how intimate he wants to be with you in a language that gets every one of our attention. Also, God's letting you know that sex is not only physical, but it is deeply spiritual. Whoever you sleep with, married, unmarried, same sex or not, you will become like them. You will become one with them. You become one with them. That's why scripturally, the only container for sex, because it is so profoundly spiritual and powerful, is marriage. That's why it's called holy matrimony. You become like the person you sleep with. And in the same manner, you become more and more like Jesus when you're one with him. Come on, get it. Let that fry your little circuits. But, but get it. Come on, we see it happen right before our eyes all the time. Sweet girl starts dating the guys a little rough around the edges. I mean, back in my day, she was listening to Billy Squire and, and um, the tubes 
And the next thing you know, she's listening to Jimi Hendrix and the Doors and the Grateful Dead. Why? Because she slept with the guy. Now she's smoking his brand of cigarettes. She's drinking his brand of beer. Good grief, she's even starting to dress like him. You become like the person you sleep with. You become like the person that you sleep with and you become one with. In marriage, because it's holy, that bond grows only more and more intense. That's why divorce is so incredibly painful. I've never seen a good divorce, a happy divorce, because it's a tearing of what was one into two. What God has joined together, let no man put asunder. And any of you that have ever gone through divorce, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It is painful. It's painful, and it might take years to recover. Some of you may have been divorced for years, and you're still struggling to communicate with your ex. So back to Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 11, or 2 Corinthians 11, and let's begin to go after it a little bit. So all this stuff's kind of foundational. I know it was a little deep, but just trying to help. Notice in verse 2, Paul is bringing correction here now. And we have the letters of 1 and 2 Corinthians. They are corrective in nature. He's correcting abuses. Look at what he says. For I am jealous for you with the jealousy of God himself. Strong words. Strong words. And look what he says. I promised you as a pure bride to one husband, Christ. How, do, how, does, how does the Apostle Paul get off saying stuff like that? You promised. You pro- He's talking to a church. He's talking to the believers in Corinth. How does, he, how does he come off being able to get away with a statement like that? You know why he was able to say that? Because he was that church's spiritual father. That's why. He was that church's spiritual dad. And he's saying, I don't know what in the heck is going on here. I don't know what it is that, you, that you're believing now, but I promised you as a bride to, to, to one, to one husband, Jesus. Well, what's going on? What are, you, what are you doing? Think about the book of Revelation. The church leaving its first love. Paul's saying, this ain't right. And I am jealous because you are worshiping what you shouldn't. You are praying and you are seeking what you shouldn't. That's why he uses the illustration, you happily put up with whatever anyone tells you, even if they preach a different Jesus than the one we preached or a different kind of spirit than the one you received or a different kind of gospel than the one you believe. Paul's saying, as your spiritual father, I didn't didn't marry you to that. I didn't give you away to that. And as a spiritual dad, Paul is putting himself in a place of, I walked you down the aisle to meet Christ. I, I gave you away as a bride to to Christ. What What are you doing? Strong statement for him to say that I am jealous with you with the jealousy of God. God is a jealous God. He's a jealous God. He's not gonna spiritually share you with some other God, no matter what it is you choose to worship, he's not gonna share you. 
Imagine jealousy, there being a pure and a perfect form of jealousy, and you've got the beginning of a grasp of God's love for you. He loves you so much, he's jealous for you. Come on, we used used to sing it all the time. He is jealous for you. Love's like a hurricane. He loves you so intensely, loves you. And isn't it amazing that that whole concept of God being jealous is what fried Oprah's circuits when she heard that preached one day. And I think ever since she's been on a search because she just could not come to grips with a God who would love so much that he would be jealous. I'm glad that God's jealous for me. I'm glad that God loves me so much. I'm glad, just like we sang, that he would lead the 99 and he would come after me. I'm glad. I'm glad the Holy Spirit has been called for years and years and years in the church, the hound from heaven, that he would come after me. I'm so glad. So glad. As Corinthians' spiritual father, he was saying that he did not give them as a bride to many grooms. He gave them the just one, Jesus. I have seen firsthand the pain of a father that had given his daughter away in marriage only to see her leave the one that he gave her to. And it's painful. It's painful for those fathers to see those marriages struggling because they gave that daughter away. They approved. They put their seal of approval on that. Whenever I do a wedding, I will tell the father of the bride or whoever walks the bride down that I want you to communicate in some way, and it's one of the quickest transitions in the wedding, but for me it's very, very powerful, and that is the groom is standing on my left, and the bride and the father are in front of me, and I tell the groom that you may take your bride. It's in that moment that traditionally the father kisses the bride, and he steps back and he allows the groom to take his place alongside of the bride. The father never ceases being the father, but he ceases being the provider. He ceases being the main man in her life now. And he has to step back. And I always ask the dads, like, can you do something that shows that this meets with your approval? And I've seen some wonderful um, relationships, um, father, father-in-laws with um, you know, son-in-laws, you know, hugging each other, um, more than a handshake, more than a, you know, it's just, it's, it's a powerful moment. I said, you just don't understand how significant this brief moment in the wedding is. You, you don't get it. And this is exactly the imagery that Paul is using here. Whoa, 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 wait a minute. I didn't approve of this. I didn't give you away to this. Uh-uh, I, I don't, I'm, I, I, I'm jealous. As your spiritual dad, I am jealous, and I understand that. I understand, I understand what it's like to see people that have come to Christ, that have committed themselves to Christ, and the next minute they are worshiping and they're seeking whatever. And you'd be amazed at what you could worship that could replace Jesus in your life. I have seen people so in love with Jesus and then get in a relationship that tears them right away from him, never to see him in church again. 
I'll see him. Hey, haven't seen you in a while. Are you going to church somewhere else? No. Well, man, you need to go. You need to go somewhere. You need to be encouraged. And they don't want to go because they got scrambled through a relationship. And they became one with somebody. And they don't feel the same coming to church anymore. And they think that everybody's going to judge them and look down on them. Heck no, man, we want you to come. Man, come on back. Since when could you go too far? Since when could you commit so great a sin? Say something, do something where Jesus wouldn't take you back. No, 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 you've gone too far. I, I've never seen that sin before. Said, said, said God to no one. I understand. I understand the jealousy. I understand the, what, are you, what were they thinking? I don't know how many times I've said that to Lisa. What are they thinking? In Galatians, Paul said to the, ch- the churches in Galatia, it wasn't just one church, it was many churches, he said, who, who bewitched you? Who, who, you, you began in the spirit, you're now going to finish in the flesh? You began, it was you and Jesus, and now you're going to take it from here all by yourself? You're going to finish in the flesh? Who bewitched you? I want to challenge you today. Whether I was your spiritual dad that gave you to Jesus or not, or whether you're mindful right now of a pastor that was your spiritual dad, I am coached every month on the phone and mentored every month on the phone by my spiritual dad, Pastor Benson. And I said, man, I'm responsible for some folks now. Could you check on me? And, and uh, John, I would love to do that. And as a spiritual dad, I'm looking to marry some people off today. I don't know where you're at right now with God. I don't know where you're at with Jesus. Maybe you once were walking very closely with him. And you might have some really good excuses. Well, Pastor John, I was once involved in the local church. Pastor John, I was once in in leadership. Pastor John, yeah, but this went down and that went down. What does that have to do with you and Jesus? What does that have to do with you and Jesus? Or in my vernacular, what does that have to do with the price of egg yolk in China? You can go ahead and make it about many things. I'll guarantee you it's always going to be about one thing. You can try to make it about many people. I guarantee you it's always going to be about one person. And what are your excuses going to be As my pastor used to say, when you look into the eyes of him who knew no sin yet died for you, became sin for you on the cross, cursed is anyone who dies on a tree. Jesus literally became a curse for us. Are you kidding me? What are you going to tell him? What are you going to look into his eyes and say, but those people were so mean. They hurt me bad. What could you possibly say? You can go ahead and try to make it about all those other things. I promise you it's always and forever going to be about you and Jesus. It's not about that person that you were once married to. 
It's not about that rebellious kid that said bad things and hurt you so bad and cost you so much money. It's about you and Jesus. And it'll always be about you and Jesus. And today, once again, it's about you, you and Jesus. And in my heart, I see a white aisle runner being rolled up this morning. And I'm a proud father on a wedding day wanting to give some away to Jesus. And right now, God's working on your heart. He's sprucing you up for your wedding day. And today, you know that you need to commit. Quit trying to figure the future out. He holds the future. He's the author and the finisher of your faith. You let him do that. You let him do that. Could I get eyes to close right now?